Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. All right, welcome in Cube Show Podcast, a college football podcast. Usually comes to you on Sundays. I think we're back to our normal schedule now as bowl season's wrapping up. We got the national championship game tomorrow night. So we're going to get into that. Give you a little quick preview of Washington, Michigan, our thoughts there. Uh, we split the semifinal, went Alabama, went Washington to advance to the national title game. So we're one for two there. Give you our pick for the national championship game as well, as we're going to run through all the SEC bowl games, we'll go through all those bowl matchups. So this is kind of our film review of what we saw during bowl season as we sort of get back on track and get that going for you. And as you know, we're brought to you by Wickles Pickles, wickedly delicious. Never forget it. We've got our giant jar of them here. We keep them stocked. We snack on them. Great recipes over at WicklesPickles.com. Use promo code CUBE, and you can have them drop shipped to you if they're not at your local grocery store. And if they're not, ask your grocer, why do we not have Wickles Pickles here? We need those. We need them here now. Let's go. Let's get this rolling. Uh, but let's get into some of these games because I don't want to go too long for you guys, and I do want you to have the opportunity to hear just what I saw on film from these matchups. We'll start with the Alamo Bowl. Uh, we're going to go ahead and count Oklahoma and Texas here and get them in a little bit of an abbreviated version with these teams because you're not officially in just yet, um, at least in this podcast, Minds, even though we welcomed you in a couple of episodes ago. Um, please subscribe, by the way, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, trying to get those up, trying to catch up with a lot of other folks. Um, Pate said we'd be at 10,000 by the end of the season. We're not even close to that. So trying to get there. Like, rev rate, review if you're listening, audio-wise, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you so much for tuning in. We always appreciate you guys. Um, Oklahoma and Arizona, 38-24, your final here. And this really just came down to turnovers for Oklahoma. You had two offensive linemen in the portal. You had two offensive linemen go prepare for the NFL draft. You had to sort of move some guys around. That wasn't going to be great with Jackson Arnold, super talented quarterback, um, but a young man that just – hadn't really been the regular starter and hadn't had a ton of experience in games. You saw him earlier against Arkansas State in a blowout, saw him against BYU. The weather was kind of bad, and that game had to come in in reserve role. But, man, I tell you what, just first and foremost, I know there were a couple of interceptions, not all on him, and I know that some of the decision-making early was maybe a little bit questionable, but once he settled in, you can see why Jeff Lebby told me that he's the most talented kid he's worked with. The ability to get set up off of his fakes, to adjust his feet and deliver a strong pass, uh, the ability to push the ball down the field, throw off balance, throw off platform, change some arm angles. Like he's got every ounce of ability that there is. So just starting there, uh, I think I was really impressed with what I saw from him. Now he's going to have to have some help around him. This is a team not super deep at tight end this year. That kind of showed. Didn't get the run game going until a little bit later. Some of those gap scheme runs started peeling off. Sawchuck got a big one a little bit later in the game. I think he had 134, 62 on one run. But it wasn't consistent early. 
And then they used Jackson on a little bit in the run game. And I think that helped open some things up when Arizona saw that they had to defend it. But really, it just came down to turnovers. You lose three fumbles. You turn it over six times. You have eight penalties. This is what's going to happen. I mean, Oklahoma outgained them 562 to 385. So there were parts of it that were impressive, the performance. And they completely shut down the rushing attack of Arizona. Uh, 29 yards on the ground for the Wildcats. It's not really where they live. They do have good backs. Um, but Noah Fafita made plays when he had to. T-Mac made big catches when he had to. And I think they just kind of showed you what kind of team they are this year. Arizona finishes 10-3. and three. Amazing team. I want to I spend a little more time on Arizona later in the offseason because uh, it's going to take some time. But just being around that team a little bit this year, it's, it's a team that I think people deserve to know more about and be celebrated. But we'll do that a little bit later on. Um, all in all, I thought Oklahoma did some good things. Visiting with Coach Venables, I feel good about the future, how he now views the portal, how his opinions there has changed, you know, how they're going to have to recruit to play in the SEC, bigger up front, offense and defensive lines. Uh, you get beaten by backs, so that offensive line is going to be okay. And they had, you know, another guy go into the NFL draft this past week. Uh, so it's going to be that part, I think, is going to be the most difficult portion of coming into the league as Walter Rouse announced he's going to the NFL. So that's three starters going to the NFL, two other that have started going to the portal. Whew, that that part going to be tough. A couple backs in the portal as well, but skill is not going to be an issue for Oklahoma. Impressed with Stutson at linebacker, Billy Bowman at safety. Like those guys are going to be back. They're going to have a strong team. It's just sloppy performance. You turn the ball over, and we saw, I kind of mentioned it with the head coach at halftime about are we watching Jackson Arnold grow up right before our eyes? And he he kind of was like, Yeah, I mean, you could say that. And I, I think when you're when you're talking about just what he was in the first few series as opposed to what he became throughout the course of that game. Venables kind of agreed when I interviewed him and said, I, I think you're seeing his confidence grow. So give him a full off season. I think he's going to be just fine. You're not going to have anything to worry about there. Um, Sugar Bowl, I was at, did the mega cast. Um, first off, great group of guys. Colt McCoy was awesome. Sam Macho was great. Um, Harry Douglas, just a blast. Great personality. So much fun. All those guys know football extremely well. Um, it was pretty cool to be walking around the, you know, the, the sugar bowl and walking around the field and felt like for the first hour, just like my name was being called left and right. I was like, man, I didn't know Texas and Washington fans, like even knew who I was. And then I realized that they were yelling for Colt, not Cole. So it wasn't for me, but Hey, either way, uh, had the chest puffed out for a minute there thinking that, uh, I was a little more popular than, than I was. Nonetheless, uh, what a game, two great games in the college football playoff. Washington um, had some troubles up front, mainly with Byron Murphy, who was unbelievable. Um, and we all thought it was Tavondre Sweat coming into this game. Murphy was the one that deserved the credit and actually had a couple people on that Texas staff tell me before the game on the field, like, Murphy's probably the better football player. And I think you saw that. Quickness, physicality. He's playing against the run. He's rushing passer. He's winning one-on-ones. He's got that swim move going. Like, he was... I came away probably – I didn't need to be more impressed by Penix. I knew he was capable of what he doing what he did. Uh, but Byron Murphy, probably the guy that surprised me the most that I came away most impressed with as far as what he was doing there. Um, you know, he was unbelievable. So felt pretty good about him. And then uh, on the other side, probably Braylon Trice, who I knew he had it in him too, but he just really impressed me on that Washington front. They did a good job. I thought William Inge did a nice job moving him around because Trice would line up in the A-gap. He'd be outside. He's doing all different things. 
And then all of a sudden he's making plays. He's in the backfield. So felt pretty good about that. But either way, uh, Penix goes for 430, Adunze 125, Jalen Polk 122. They just hit him with explosives over and over and over again. Ten flags for Texas. And this was the problem for Washington going into this game. Washington was a team that had issues with flags. Washington was a team that had been playing these close games. And then the two turnovers for Texas were big. Four of 11 on third down. Texas did not record a sack. Give Penix credit for some of that. He moved around well, stepped up well. Uh, when he did feel pressure, he moved and delivered a strike. It was one of the things Acho said in the game. He's like, they've got to make him find a new spot. They've got to move his spot. And I kind of looked at him at one point and I said, Acho, the, he, they're moving his spot. He's just finding a new spot and still completing passes. Like that's what it was for Penix in that game. But I thought Quinn Ewers did some good things. I thought the I thought running back depth came back to haunt Texas a little bit because Keelan Robinson's cast was huge. You can see why he didn't get a ton of work in the game because uh, that could be a little bit of an issue. And you know had to go to Jaden Blue some. He made a couple of nice plays, but I just thought that um, they couldn't get it down the field. And I thought Texas maybe lacked opportunities challenging this defense down the field. Jatavian Sanders became kind of the go-to over the middle of the field for a little while, but um, you you got to see what Adonai Mitchell can do. It's just, why didn't you take advantage of it more? And then I do think Worthy got a little more shaken up during this game. Maybe that's another reason they didn't try him down the field a little bit extra, but either way, heck of a season for Texas. They're going to be fine in the SEC next year. Just some mistakes and the inability to get stops when you had to. I thought was the key in this game. So, and I got to go to some notes on this because these games were a while back. I just don't remember all of it, but I have watched the film. So I just want to share with you what I saw. Let's go to the Tag Slayer Bowl. Um, We've got Clemson and Kentucky. Clemson takes it 38-35. Kentucky finishes seven and six. Um, I thought Trevin Wallace was great in this game uh, at linebacker for Kentucky. He was left and right, east and west, flying around, making plays. Physicality was there. But some of the linebackers were out of position again. Um, some of the gap scheme runs, some of the motions pulled them away from where their fits were and then allowed Clemson to pick up some things at different points in time. Um, you lose three fumbles. You give up eight sacks. Uh, you have eight sacks. You know, Weaver has two of those sacks. Deion Walker has two of those sacks. Like You had guys that made plays in this game. I thought the defense played well enough other than obviously the last possession to go win this football game. You gave it to them in their own territory, Devin Leary. You know, a couple of fumbles, a couple of picks, not saying they were all on him. Tried to force a few passes that probably shouldn't have. The offensive line wasn't great. They missed some blitz pickups, and that was a little bit problematic in this one. Um, I didn't think the Kentucky offensive line did a good job getting to the second level. So handled things up front fairly well most of the time but couldn't climb to those linebackers. And then the backers would scrape over and be able to make the play. So they got caught up at the point of attack at the initial line of scrimmage a little too much, couldn't climb. And that allowed Clemson linebackers to make plays. Cause there were times Ray Davis kind of got in space, but then there were just too many Clemson defenders coming from the second level unscathed, able to prevent massive gains. Um, I thought you, know, you had the strip sack late on a four-man rush, which can't happen. You can't let them get home there. Um, the tackles had a rough day in pass pro. Like just both sides, just not good in pass protection. And at least both sides being a problem. We haven't seen that a lot from Kentucky this year, but we saw that in this game. Um, they didn't handle the interior of the defensive line very well either. 
as mostly in the run game, able to penetrate, cause problems, force plays to bounce back. You had the tip ball that went for a pick. So you sailed the one ball for the interception. Turnovers again and just inconsistencies in the passing game, be it protection, be it knowing the hots, be it knowing when to get the ball out or trying to force the ball. All of those things just kind of showed up a little bit, and we've seen them throughout the course of the year for Kentucky. But I thought it was great that Ray Davis played. I thought he did some good things. Barry and Brown was awesome. Three catches, 100 yards, a touchdown. He had the 100-yard kickoff return for touchdown. Like, he was special in this game. Some of the individuals up front, like even 90 played well. thought Oxendine did some good things also for, uh, for the Kentucky defensive front. It's just – you didn't need to turn the ball over late and you had to get one stop and couldn't get it done. Either way, a little bit of a disappointing season. I'm not going to say that it's not. And and I think there are a lot of things that go into that. Um, maybe just the understanding of a lot of things between quarterback, offense, coordinator, guys around them, like the the gelling of all of that, probably not where it needed to be. But I think they're set up to be solid heading into next season as well and a couple of the guys that you expected to show up and play well they did that like trevin wallace showed up jj weaver showed up Deion walker showed up um obviously trevin wallace i said ray davis showed up and played like that was it was good to see that shows me that the culture is still strong there with coach stoops all right so let's go to the to the cotton bowl missouri and ohio state just a fun game, really and truly, uh, because I wanted to see the physicality of the Missouri offensive line, how they would hold up, how they'd be able to move the ball, and how that would go in this matchup. And I'll give the Ohio State defensive line credit. Missouri gets to win 14-3, but that defensive line was a problem for about two and a half, three quarters. Played their asses off. And I was impressed with 51. I was impressed with 44. Did some really nice things. But that stretch play, it just – as it has been for so many teams this year, got to be a little bit too much too late. And here comes Cody Schrader again, 29 for 128. He was fantastic. It was, it was I'm talking clinic tape with the stretch play late in that game. Just him staying on his track, knowing when to turn north and south. It was a beautiful thing to watch. I thought Cameron Johnson, 74, played great for this offensive line. Mimbu did some good things. Tackles struggled in pass pro a little bit. Ohio State gave him some problems, but the OL battled. This was a battle up front. The Missouri offensive line against that Ohio State defensive line was a freaking battle. And I'm not just going to say Missouri dominated it, but they did enough to be able to get a win. They found ways to make some plays late. And I thought Kirby did a really nice job with formations, misdirections, even when they would run that stretch, you get the motion coming off the backside of it, or you get some play fakes off of it, some of the quick throwbacks off pulling offensive linemen. It was it was just it was good stuff as usual there. Uh, Johnny Walker made plays defensively. Uh, Tristan Newsom made some plays defensively. Two and a half tackles for a loss for him. Blake Baker turned them loose, and I thought that they feasted on an average Ohio State offensive line because there were some that just the looks that they gave them were the reasons they got home. There were others. They won their one-on-ones. That's why they were able to get home. But either way, the presentation of what Missouri did defensively caused a lot of problems, and you knew they had a chance to do that because, one, that offensive line wasn't great, and, two, you were going to have a younger quarterback. And then when you started banging quarterbacks around, you knew you were going to be able to probably have your way. So uh, their pressures were able to get home. They were able to be problematic. 
And Brady Cook didn't have to do all the heavy heavy lifting. 11 of 18, 128, touchdown, no picks, ran 19 times for 66 yards, had a couple big runs later in that game where had to sort of keep the clock going, move the change, maintain possessions, hold on to a win. He was able to do that. Luther Burden, four touches, not enough, but you heard Eli say it at halftime, like we got to get our playmakers the ball. They did a little bit more in the second half, held Ohio State to 2 of 15 on third down, just phenomenal third down defense. And they outrush them 203 to 97. So, I mean, a really nice win for this Missouri football team. And I think we'll look back on this one. I don't know if the true appreciation for it is there just yet, just for what they did, how they did it, and kind of what this entire season was for Coach Drinkowitz. It's one that needs to be celebrated probably as one of the better years in college football that's not going to be in the playoffs. And the culture, too. I mean, showing up, playing this game the way that they did, the guys who showed up and played, you finish 11-2, and two, it's a hell of a year. All right, let's go on to another team that probably the team and what they accomplished, not going to get the credit that they deserve for what this year actually was. And one company that always gets credit for what they deserve is Blue Delta Jeans. Go to bluedeltajeans.com. Tell them you heard about them here on Cube Show. They can get you custom fit digitally. And then they'll ship them to you and you're ready to go. Custom fit jeans, the most comfortable, breathable, stretchy jeans you're ever going to have in your life. Dress them up, go casual. You will absolutely love Blue Delta jeans. I promise you. BlueDeltaJeans.com. Order today. Gift cards for birthdays, holidays. You got those going. Got a little extra money from Christmas left over. BlueDeltaJeans.com. Get you a pair. Tell them you heard about them right here on Cube Show. All right, Orange Bowl. Georgia not going to get the credit they deserve for the season that they have. They finished 13-1. and Remarkable year. And all we're going to hear about is what Florida State did not have in this game. It's fair because there was a lot. There was a lot that Florida State didn't play with. I won't deny that. I won't pretend like that's not a real thing because it was. But what I will also not deny is that the half-assed effort I saw by about half that Florida State football team that was on the field should be talked about in the exact same way. Some of it confusion. Some of it inexperience. Sure, maybe. Some of it intimidation. Probably. But when you get your opportunity and it's finally your time and you go out there on the defensive line, you're standing straight up and you're running spin moves that are barely moving. And you got guys in pressures that aren't trying to come in and pick somebody else off. So the looper can find a way to get home to the quarterback. I got a problem with that. You got linebackers and safeties wide open in the field that are diving at ankles and missing tackles because it looks like they're disinterested in being out there. I got a problem with that. Offensive linemen that aren't finishing. I have a problem with that. So I understand the talent that was not there, but you go got you go dive into the tape because I did. And I'm gonna tell you what I saw. I saw you guys from that secondary that Georgia's got that are gonna play in the NFL that were putting their freaking bodies on the line. They were coming up. Tyke Smith taking on offensive tackles up at the line of scrimmage. Javon Bullard's flying down there, taking on pulling guards. Like they're taking on tight ends. These guys physically showed up for a game that they didn't have to play in, and nobody would have said a word to them. So I, you can say culture, one program, other program. A lot of it is just individual mentality, but Kirby does a good job of finding those kind of guys. And I give him a ton of credit for showing up and playing the way that they did. Outmanned a little bit? Sure. Georgia had guys out. They had a starting tackle out. They are the best football player out of this game. Beat up at running back. Milton goes out there and has a good day. What did he run for? Nine carries, 104 yards. Carson Beck, 13 of 18, 203, two touchdowns, no interceptions. But here's the other part of that. It didn't start that way. And this may be the most impressive part about Georgia's performance in this game is you went out there, you had a batted ball, you had a drop screen, you had a strip sack all early in this game for the Georgia offense. And what happened? Kept going, kept their foot on the gas, 
kept churning, kept their legs moving, kept the effort full speed. Cedric Van Pram blowing guys up on screens down near the goal line, offensive line getting movement. I mean, the, the, the holes that were opened up for Milton were ridiculous. And not all of it was the, the Georgia offensive line. They played good. They played well. They did good things. But some of it were guys out of position. And some of it were guys that didn't look like they wanted to be on the field. So I will forgive some of the things that have happened with Florida State. You can say committee. And that's why some guys were out. If they were in a lesser bowl, more guys plays. That makes absolutely no sense to me. I don't know how you say that. But I will I'm not excuse is the effort by a lot of the individuals. And it was not every one of them. There were some kids that played really hard for that Florida State football team, gave great effort, and made some plays. But collectively, effort was not where it needed to be. Go watch the film is all I'll say. Go watch the film. And when you watch it, you can stop with the excuses because that's the only excuse that needs to be put in front of other people. Michael Williams was great in this game. Kid's going to be a star. I said it going into last year for whatever reason. Like he dominated. He was rolling offensive linemen in this game. And that's playing the run and rushing the passer. Jalen Walker, I think he's going to be a star for Georgia somehow, some way. I don't know if it's off the ball. I don't know if it's on the edge, rushing the passer, whatever. But 11 was causing problems for this defense. Uh, 44 Jordan Hall, a little bit of a disappointment. Did not think he took advantage of his reps. Gabe Harris, 29. I love the effort. It's not always right. It's not always what it needs to be, but he's a frigging missile when he's on the field. And he's going to, he's going to make somebody pay for being out there against him. Uh, but 22 and 23, like I said in the secondary, man, they were putting their bodies on the line. And for undersized kids playing near the line of scrimmage that are both going to be in the NFL, I got a ton of respect for you. Um, CJ Allen played well. Um, Monroe Freeling, 57, the right tackle. He got to get in there a little bit. He's going to be fine. I like some of the things I saw from him, the attitude, the finish, the strength. He's got good body control, good body balance. He gets on his toes and overextended a little bit at times, but I think he's got a good future. Um, Cedric Van Pran on his way out just is was what he is, just one of the best. One of the best centers in college football has meant so much to that Georgia program, and he went out a winner in more ways than one. So, listen, 26 carries for 63 yards for Florida State. It's not what they are. It's not who they are. I know they were a little one-dimensional, but it was disappointing to see that in a game that should have had the magnitude that it deserved, and it didn't. In the Capital One Orange Bowl, Georgia finishes 13-1. All right, Peach Bowl. This one was fun to watch. Competitive game, fun game. Ole Miss gets a win, 38-25. They get 11-2. and Obviously, Lane now two eleven uh, eleven win season school record, back to back ten win seasons. He's been remarkable as the Ole Miss head football coach. He's doing things that have never been done or haven't been done since the fifties or sixties. It's it's ridiculous what he's doing. Judkins goes thirty four for one hundred six. Now Judkins in the portal. There are a lot of portal guys that we could talk about in this episode. We'll mention probably just a few of the games that we get to because we just don't have time to go into all of them. That's going to be for the off season down the road when we sort of reset all the rosters. Um, let me say this about the Judkins situation quickly. I understand that there are some things behind closed doors that aren't probably what they need to be from a leadership perspective, from an attitude perspective, all of that. I get it. I've heard it. And I got pretty good sources that I believe in that are telling me that. But when you want to show video clips of a guy maybe saying that a guy needs to come out of a game or another position yelling at a running back in a game, I'll challenge you to do this. Go watch Judkins blitz pickups in this game and tell me that he didn't want to be out there. And tell me he wasn't fighting his rear end off because the film don't lie. And the film told me that that's what he was doing. And by the way, he had 106 rushing yards in the game. So no one's ever going to question that kid's effort. 
No one's ever going to question what he does when he has the ball in his hand. And I don't think they should question what he does when he does have the ball in his hand. Is it a big loss for Ole Miss? Maybe, but I don't think it's as big as some people are going to make it out to be. He is a unique talent. He is an unbelievable talent. Can he help a team? Yes, he can help every team, quite honest. It's just how much. I believe the, the less you have around a running back, the less important they become, or the more important they become. The more you have a running around a running back, the less important they become. Because if it's just a guy that you have to hand the ball to to create for you, then you win games because of them. Two years ago, I thought Ole Miss won some games because of Quinshawn Judkins. I don't know how many games they won this year because of him. Maybe you could go to the LSU game. Maybe you could go to, I don't know, give me another game. Because most games, it didn't really look like he was the reason that they were winning those games. Did some good things in those games, but he wasn't the reason. Uh, This offense doesn't have to have a dynamic back because so much space is going to be created. The backs are going to be able to find their way. Now you have Priestcorn, who went 10 for 136 and two touchdowns. Trey Harris coming back, 7 for 134 in this game. Those two are ridiculous, by the way. Uh, especially Priestcorn with some of his cracks to set up the toss, what he did in the run game, the one-handed catch. Trey Harris, the contested catches in this game, insane. Um, I think this will be sort of an amicable split, a mutual parting of ways that both can benefit from. That's just my opinion. I think Ole Miss probably put something nice together. I think Judkins wanted more. And honestly, I'd be proud of Ole Miss if they walked away. I really would. Just because I think when you look at where everything is, you're not going to just be able to overspend on all of it. And they've already crushed it in the portal this offseason. So they'll be fine without him. And I, I still think they can be a playoff team without him. It's just he can be a takeover guy, and you'd always love to have that on your roster. The other part is just the legacy portion of it. He comes back and has another year like he's had. I mean, he's already he's the first player since Herschel to go back-to-back 15-yard touchdown rushing seasons. Um, first 100-yard rushing game in a bowl for Ole Miss since 2010. I think he's tied with Deuce for most 100-yard rushing games right now in their career. He's going to set multiple school records. I mean, you get deep in the playoffs, they'll build a statue for you. They're going to retire your number, and now that's going to be gone. You missed out on a lot of that, and that's unfortunate because those people would have welcomed him back for the rest of his life. And I don't know where all this legacy stuff goes with the guys that end up playing at two or three different places. I have no idea. I know how important it should be, but also understand kids at that age, they're just not going to get it. They're not going to see exactly what it should be or what it could be. Uh, Jared Ivey was really good in this game, playing the run on the edge, rushing the passer. Um, They did have some protection breakdowns offensively, though. Slide protection was a little bit of an issue. Uh, they got on different levels a couple of times, trading off twists and pressures, lost some one-on-ones up front with the offensive line. The sets by the offensive tackles were just not good in this game. That got him in some trouble. Jackson Dart's legs really helped. He ran eight times for 14 yards and a touchdown, but it was just, it was avoiding some of that pressure that I think was big. He goes 25 of 40, 379, three touchdowns, no picks. He was really good. Um, and then I thought JJ Pegues had a good game. He gets out of his gap sometimes, freelances a little bit, but like that's just having that kind of quickness, I think does that. He's gotten so much better with his hands. Isaac Yuku was really good in this game off the edge, playing the run and rushing the passer, really good in stunts. So when he was a penetrator, dislodging another lineman, basically taking out two linemen so somebody else can come get the pressure, did a great job there. 95 also had a good game rushing the passer. Uh, causing some problems, disrupting the run game. 51, pad level too high, not good along that defensive line for Ole Miss. Um, and just kind of a side deal. Screens hurt the Ole Miss defense. Crossers hurt the Ole Miss defense. Linebackers, I thought, were 
up to the line of scrimmage a little bit too quickly in the run game, so they misfit some things. Penn State does a great job with gap schemes. So when you rush up to the line of scrimmage and some gap scheme runs, you're going to get caught in all that traffic, and you can't get back over the top and make a play. 64, though, center for Penn State, really good football player. Had a really good game there. Uh, the Tax Act Texas Bowl, A&M lose their quarterback first offensive play of the game. Marcel Reed comes in 20 of 33, 361, ran 10 times for 29 yards and a touchdown. Athletically, he looked great. And handling the situation, I was really impressed. Did some good things. Jaden Walker, 8 for 137 receiving. Um, but you only had 73 yards rushing, 4 of 11 on third down. It's not going to be enough. How about this? Zero sacks, three tackles for loss for AM. This is a team, I believe, during the season had double-digit TFLs in three straight games, 15 in two consecutive games, if I'm not mistaken. And you get three tackles for loss and no sacks. But you knew that was going to be a part of it. Most of that D-line was gone, either to the NFL or in the portal. Um, your best linebacker wasn't going to be out there. It's just the, the, it, was, it was going to be different. The coaching changed. The guys that were moving on, you didn't know what you were going to get. Skeleton crew roster. The fact that they battled back, stayed in, and got back in this game with a chance late, even though it was kind of a Hail Mary throw, I give those kids credit for that. And I give that, that coaching staff that was left over credit for keeping them motivated and keeping them in that game. Um, but that's one that a lot of guys got some extra development. It was good for them to be able to get through those ball practices. Ollie Gordon, 118 for Oklahoma State. You knew he was going to be a bit of a problem. All right, let's go to the Music City Bowl. Um, disgusting performance from the Auburn Tigers in this game. Uh, don't know another way to say it. 31-13, you lose this one. You throw a pick six. You turn the ball over multiple times. Four turnovers for Auburn in this game. Uh, Gunnar Britton was bear-hugging guys up front. Xavion Miller's pad level was too high. His hands were too wide. His hat placement and play action wasn't where it needed to be. Um, I thought Peyton Thorne eluded pressure well, but he's got to find his checkdowns. And I understand you want to drive the ball down the field. You want to take advantage of some things down the field. But when your checks are there wide open, you have to get the ball out to your backs or whoever's out there for your checks and just let them go work. It's something Hugh Freeze and I talked about before the season that he did extremely well at Michigan State. And he just hasn't found it at Auburn consistently. And I don't understand it. It's free yards. Like Roman says on Redirect Monday nights, take your free grass. And Peyton Thorne didn't do that. No separation from the tight ends and receivers. Rivaldo Fairweather was great. Some of the stuff he's been doing on Twitter has been pretty funny as well, by the way. Um, he made a couple contested grabs, but they missed some simple pressures. The one slide protection, when you slide to the right and the backer comes right through the left B gap um, and the back goes out on a route, so it's a bust by the back or it's a bust by the quarterback not knowing or a bust by the center allowing it to be whoever – but they missed a couple of those. They couldn't trade off some of the twists up front. Uh, and that's that's pretty easy stuff that they were missing out on. The pad level collectively by the offensive line I thought was too high. Um, struggled in pass pro. Recognition of the pressure is just not there. I did think Connor Lou had another good game. This kid's going to have a bright future in an Auburn uniform. Great hands. Good finish. He did struggle with the bull rush a little bit, but he's a true freshman. Like, there's going to be bigger, badder guys that are going to be able to push you around at that age. It's just, it's going to happen. Um, you know, the center and the right guard, they got split too much either on pass pro on different levels or in the run game, one coming off, one not staying. That was an issue. Defensively, I thought Jalen McLeod did some really good things from a pass rush perspective. I was impressed with him. Defensive line got displaced a little bit too much. They got pushed out of their gaps, did not stay in the run fits that they needed to enough. 
A lot of missed tackles in this game for Auburn, specifically at linebacker. Linebackers did not fit the run very well. Um, I did think Austin Keys did some good things as a blitzer. Caleb Wooden did some good things as a blitzer and out in coverage. Uh, had the interception, had a bunch of tackles. And the linebacker fits, as I said, just not where they needed to be. Maryland tackled extremely well in this game also. There were times that Jarquez Hunter or Fairweather or another player would get into the open field and then just not able to make anything happen. Couldn't create explosive plays. And they ate up blocks well. They moved up front to cause problems. And then their defensive line ate blocks. And that allowed second and third level to be able to roam around and make plays. All in all, just a disappointing performance. Now, Hank Brown came in 7-9 for 132. Everybody's pissing their pants about him. All of a sudden, maybe, great, good, maybe. All right. Uh, Gunnar Britton, one of six for eight yards. Not great. Either way, it's one bowl performance. You don't know exactly what it's going to mean as far as next year. Citrus Bowl, Tennessee 35-0 over Iowa. Like we said on the show when we previewed it, just give us a field goal. Tennessee, or maybe two field goals, and you should be fine. They were fine. Iowa goes 9 of 25 for 60 yards passing in this game. Gross. Um, Just not great. Now, Nico Iamaleva, 12 of 19, 151 touchdown, no interceptions, ran 15 times, 27 yards, rushed for three touchdowns. He looked calm. He looked poised. He delivers a nice ball. Some of the wide side of the field throws that he was asked to make, similar to if you go back in some of the things that I'm not making a comp, but where Peyton Manning first wowed people was that 10 yard out from the opposite hash. Some of the stuff that Nico was asked to do across the field, I thought was very impressive. And it showed he has more than enough arm to be able to make all those throws. And obviously he can push the ball down the field as well. Uh, Dylan Sampson, 20 for 133, great. Another 200 rushing yard game for Josh Heupel in Tennessee. I think he's at like 28 of 39 games. He's gone over for 200, something like that. I don't know the exact number, but just three or 12 on third down, not enough. 232 to 113 rushing in this game, 383 to 173 total yardage differential. Whoa, for what Tennessee did to Iowa in this matchup. Just it was a dominant performance all the way around. Give them a lot of credit. Thought the left side of the offensive line, though, not good. Now, Campbell Mincy, neither one in. Mincy decides to hit the portal after he had just tweeted out like a month ago he's coming back. No idea what's happening there, how or why that takes place. James Pierce, big off the edge. He's going to be a monster next year. Had the pick six, had a couple pressures. He looked good. Elijah Simmons inside, really good for that Tennessee defensive line. He's got that low center of gravity. He can just be just a bulldog inside. He was penetrating, causing some problems. Thought Elijah Herring made some good plays at linebacker. He was roaming around in the backfield a few times. Did some really good things. Bit of a culture win for Tennessee. You turned things over to the freshman quarterback and things look good. I think you build momentum off this game heading into the offseason. So I think it's that good of a win for Tennessee. Rely Quest Bowl. LSU gets Wisconsin 35-31. It's a weird one because Malik Neighbors plays a half, gets his record, and then he's out. Nussmeyer goes for 395, three touchdowns, one pick. He's going to be great. Brian Thomas, eight for 98, two touchdowns. Kyron Lacey, six for 95. Um, They all, I mean, everybody had a good day catching the football. Mason Taylor had a good day catching the football. The LSU offensive line played a really nice game. I thought they played extremely well, but it's some of the same stuff. Where was Harold Perkins late in this game? You had to get to the quarterback to prevent Wisconsin from coming back. Thankfully, Mason Smith 
made a couple of plays. Makai Wingo, who comes back to play in the bowl, made a couple of plays from pass rush perspective late to slow down Tanner Mordecai, who you didn't slow down for much of the game because he threw for 378 and three touchdowns. Um, Perkins did have four tackles. He rushed for a touchdown. I love, I, I appreciate Brian Kelly's uh, view standpoint, how he handles things going into a bowl game like this. Like, give your best player on defense a rushing touchdown. Tell your best receiver, best player that's going to play in the game, sure, you can play a half, go get your record, and then you're going to be done. Like, whatever the motivational tactics have to be, I feel like he kind of brought them out and used them. But at the end of the day, you got to win. You fought for and got a win in this game, and you get to double-digit wins, which I think ends up being a really nice season. So you finished 10-3, and three, you beat Wisconsin, you did some really good things this year, you got a Heisman Trophy, and... It's a, it's a good year. Now you got to build on it. And when you look at what they're doing in high school recruiting right now, I don't think they're going to have a problem building because it looks like that thing's going extremely well. So a nice win for LSU. Just some questionable things down the stretch. I kept wondering, where is four rushing the passer here? And I just didn't see him on the field when you had to get to the quarterback to get a stop to win the football game. So, you know, either way, I thought they were capable of, of doing some good things this year, doing some good things in bowl season. And they went out and made it happen. All right, uh, I think the only one we have left is the Rose Bowl. And I picked Alabama to win this game, thought Alabama would win this game because I thought defensively they had gotten to a level that they would be able to manage anything that Michigan threw at them. Now, what had to happen for Michigan, if you watched our playoff preview here, we discussed this to a T of how this had to go for Michigan. Needed creativity, needed movement. We're going to have to have some quarterback run and we're going to have to utilize some of the misdirection and movement to be able to make some big plays. The throwback to McCarthy he catches it with one hand and completes it. Massive play. Um, the run game got going a little bit later, but still 32 for 130. That's not a dominant rush performance by Michigan. Bama goes 43 for 172. I thought McClellan, Haynes both ran well when they were asked to get downhill, did some really nice things. Milrow, 21 for 63. Probably needed to be a little bit more in the run game. Uh, 16 to 23 for 116 for Milrow. He did not have time in the pocket, plain and simple. The majority of the pressures came from confusion. Some came from just getting beat. There were some one-on-ones that were lost. But Michigan and company did a great job of presenting things and then allowing that to be different than what they thought. They blitzed away from the back, and it worked. They blitzed away from the back, and that was a consistent problem for Alabama being able to pick it up. Now, did the left tackle have some issues? Yes. He also had a bum ankle. Not an excuse, just saying he wasn't 100% in the game. That was a little bit of a problem. So I think that when you look at what Michigan had to do, confuse Alabama when Alabama was on offense. Be more creative offensively when Alabama was on defense. Because if you watch that SEC championship game, Deontay Lawson's diagnosing things before the play, and a lot of those linebackers were showing up before plays developed. There wasn't all the eye candy they had, like when Auburn played them or when some other teams gave them some fits. Michigan, Sharon Moore added that. Some of the overloads, different people in different places, some of the split zones, some of the jet mo- They hit jet motion receiver who com- they completed a pass him like four times in the game. And listen, were there some issues with snaps? Yes, there were. Seth McLaughlin hits the portal. He's going to be out. Multitude of guys hitting the portal and hitting the NFL draft for this Alabama roster. Again, we'll diagnose that a little bit later. But at the end of the day, the things that Michigan had to do to win this game, I thought they went out and did it. And then some of the things that Alabama was going to have to do to win this game, I, I didn't think they went out and found ways to do that very well. 
If you're looking to get out and find tickets to an event, though, you need to go to GameTime.co. It's GameTime.co. If you're looking for tickets to a concert, to a sporting event, national championship game coming up, I think Taylor Swift's hitting the road again at some point. Go check her out. This is the easiest way to do it. Last-minute tickets, flash deals, zone deals. Easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area. Just go to GameTime.co. Now, you can see the view in your seat before you buy. You know exactly what to expect when you arrive. It's going to be right there on your screen. You'll be able to look at it. All in prices show your total up front so you know you're getting a great deal before you check it out. Not all the add-ons and extra fees. That's not going to happen. And You can buy tickets in seconds with just two taps. It's that easy. It's an app on your phone or you can go to the website. Check it out today. Just download the GameTime app, create an account, use promo code CUBE, C-U-B-E. You get $20 off your first purchase. It's that easy. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code CUBE, $20 off your first purchase. Download the Game Time app today for last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. That's the Game Time app, gametime.co, or go get that app in your app store. Quickly, round, sort of wrapping up 27 20, Michigan gets the win against Alabama in overtime. The final play, yes, Noro had to look down. I thought that was a little bit of a problem. Um, I do not think that the pass to the motion back out of the backfield was viable. I don't, that had to be a perfect throw, two good blocks, and the safety he was coming out, I think, was going to have the angle to be able to make the play. That needed to go right off of the hip of the pulling right guard. And once Milrow's eyes went down, he wasn't able to read it correctly. I think he panicked a little bit and just went north and south, which is not a terrible thing to do. Just make the best of it, get the best that you can, catch the ball, go. He tried to do that. And it didn't happen. He could not set up in the pocket. He did not have time to set up in the pocket. He took a couple of bad sacks, thought he forced a couple of balls. I didn't think that the run game consistently was stuck with for points in time. It could have helped Alabama out a little bit in this game. And defensively, they just they lacked the recognition with some of the things that needed to take place. Alabama had one tackle for loss and one sack in this game. That defense was not disruptive enough. Tim Keenum did some good things up front. Justin Aboigby had a great game, taking on pullers, forcing plays to bounce. It's just collectively, I didn't think that defense had the day that I thought that they were going to have. And Alabama finishes 12-2, and SEC champion, college football playoff berth, still a really good year. Hell, man, when I was playing, I would have cut a pinky off to get that SEC championship ring. I had two shots at it and didn't get one. Peyton stole one from us, and Tyrannosaurus Rex took another one from us. So it's, it's still a hell of a year. They deserve credit for it. Some of these guys leaving, I don't know the exact reasons. I don't know what what they're thinking or what the mindset is. Seth McLaughlin's already landed at Ohio State, so you know he's not a crummy player or they're not going to be taking him. But he had had issues with the snaps this year. It's totally fair to give some criticism his way. Some of it, I think, has gone just a little bit too far, just my opinion based on what I've seen. Before we go, national championship game. Um, When you watch these two teams on film, and you watch what they're capable of and how they operate and how they play and how this thing matches up, you should take Michigan. You should, because the Washington defense is not great against the run. Now, I think Braylon Trice can have a good game. Some of the gap scheme stuff that Michigan runs, blocking back, pulling around, counter power, some of the bootleg stuff, like he can be a problem. He'll be a problem in this game. He'll make plays in the backfield. Um I do think the physicality that Washington brings to the table will help. It's a bigger front than they get credit for. Problem is they're not very deep, but if Michigan plays ball control, that's okay. You just want to try to avoid those 12, 13, 14, 15 play drives. It shouldn't be that big of a problem. Um, 
Now, on the other side of the ball is where things get interesting. Because of how Washington manages their pass protection, and they're not as reliant on quick or slide protection, play action protection, pull protection that you guys have all heard me complain about, I don't think there will be as much confusion as there was with Alabama. Going back to Alabama, like the offseason, there's something that Milrow's got to fix, man. And I do think that, and listen, I'm not trying to bang on the kid, but I do think that we have, for whatever reason, pushed a lot of the blame aside for an offensive line that struggled at times this year and individually had some meltdowns in that game against Michigan. And obviously the snaps were also a bit of an issue. But make no mistake, some of the pressure recognition and protection recognition falls in the quarterback's lap. And there were a lot of mistakes made with it in that Rose Bowl and had been throughout the course of the year. He had just been able to bail them out at other times and wasn't in this game. That has to be something that improves as far as his game this offseason. If Alabama's going to win a national championship or even win another SEC championship. I don't think Washington falls for the confusion as much. I don't think that gets to them nearly as bad. I do think Michigan has some guys that can be problems, though. They can win one-on-ones and they can go out there and cause problems consistently and help that defense be able to get to Michael Penix Jr. The problem is Texas got to him a couple of times, and he still completed amazing balls down the field. I think the Michigan secondary will require less assistance to stop some of the explosive plays, but because of how they distribute the football, they're still going to get them. I think Washington can get 21-24 points by default in this game, and I'll go back to this. I know it's not super analytical, man. I get it. I just think there's something about this Washington team. I think I think both these teams, by the way, mentally and emotionally are fully prepared for this moment and for this spot. Michigan's been through everything. They've had every distraction. Not going to be an issue. Washington, older team, mature team, a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, leader at quarterback, leader at center, you know, leader leaders on defense that have played a ton of football. They're going to be fine. But whether it's Westover, Polk, whether it is a Dunze, Dylan Johnson's going to try to give it a go, like Penix with his legs. There's so many ways that Grubb can break you down that I'm going to go with Washington. I think Washington wins the game, wins a national championship. It'll be massive for Kalen DeBoer. I think this is Jim Harbaugh's last game as a college football coach. I think he's out at Michigan. Uh, would not be surprised to see them just hand it over to Sharon Moore and keep a lot of the things that they have going. But I think Michigan puts up a good fight physically. It will be a tough task for Washington, probably physically the most toughest task that they face this year on both sides of the line of scrimmage. But Michael Penix Jr. is going to get it done. Those weapons are going to get it done. I think it's a competitive game, but I think Washington just scores too much, and I think Washington gets a national championship. Always appreciate you guys tuning in. Appreciate our sponsors. Go check them out. Please click subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Like, rate, review, subscribe. Otherwise, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it is. When we come back next week, we'll sort of recap the national championship and we'll start diving into some of the movement because we've got some key players that are on their way out and some key players that are on their way into the SEC. We're with you every Sunday on Cube Show. Until then, thanks for tuning in. Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.